Father, I thank you for another day bringing us to this moment. Father, we can be amongst your people, praising your name and lifting you on high. Father, I pray that as the word goes forth, Father, that it brings grace to the hearers. Uh, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, God. Uh, Would your spirit use me and carry me about um, as we read through your scriptures, Father. Uh, I just thank you so much for uh, allowing space for us to even have this conversation about justice and reconciliation uh, and about how we lament uh, through uh, pursuing justice and reconciliation. So I thank you, God, for this day uh, and for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. My name is Tayshawn, and I am on staff here at SOMA. Um, I am excited to be with you guys today, um, and I think that, uh, uh, that God today is calling us together to something, uh, something special through today's message. Uh, I've been encouraged by the conversations I've been having uh, with most, most, a lot of you guys here at SOMA uh, around the topics of justice and reconciliation. Um, if you've been following along through the series, we had uh, week one where we just laid out the fact that the gospel, uh, that justice is a gospel uh, 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 issue. Uh, it's just not just a hot topic that we just want to kind of talk about to be popular. Uh, and then the second week we talked about the history um, of this conversation of race and injustice um, and the nation and our world and here locally in Indiana. Um, and so this week, uh, the topic is about lament. Um, and I want to acknowledge before we get into this that there's a lot of ways that we can talk about lament. And I think that God has pressed so heavily on my heart one specific way that we're going to address lament, uh, knowing that there's other ways to lament and, and address this topic of lament. I've been encouraged by the way that this church specifically uh, has dealt with this topic uh, with such grace, honesty, uh, just humility. Uh, it's been a blessing hearing the conversations um, and, 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 and hearing the conclusions that people have come to, which when at one point it wasn't their conclusion to begin with. Uh, and that's been a blessing and it's been uh, encouraging. It's been encouraging. Lament is something that largely as a church we do not uh, we do not deal with we do not engage with on uh, any level of regu- regularity lament is something that I think that we have been accustomed to uh, or, or are pressured towards uh, uh, refusing to deal with we live in a culture where it's all about happiness and joy and if I can just post the right Instagram picture to get people to look at me a certain way, if I can post the right tweet that's grammatically correct and I don't make myself look like a fool, uh, we, we want to have a picture-perfect type of uh, 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 relationship in the way that people see us and view us. But with lament, it calls people into our brokenness or into the brokenness that we see out in the world. It doesn't call people uh, to just this, this happy place. And I, I think for those reasons, uh, we are in error uh, by avoiding it. And 
it's okay to acknowledge that we are in error. It's not okay to be in error. It's okay to acknowledge that this is not the way that we should, um, that we should be, that we should act, that we should, we should pressure other people to act. The scripture says there is a time for everything. There's a time for joy. There's also a time for lament. There's a time for war. There's a time for peace. Um, living lives or trying to expire uh, for lives that are always happy is not the life that God has called you to. Living lives where uh, uh, we're always lamenting is also not the life that God's calling you to. So I also don't want you to hear in this message that I'm calling you to just live your life all the time, 24 hours of the day, uh, just weeping and lamenting. However, I want us to acknowledge that there are times for it, and God uh, uh, has appointed this time at this moment uh, for us to engage um, in lament. A good amount of the Psalms are bent towards lament. These questions, such as, uh, how long, O Lord, will you forsake me? If there is no space for a Christian to go to God honestly and say, God, I feel like you've left me. I feel like you've abandoned me. If we can't be open and honest with how we feel, uh, even in the midst of knowing what is true, that's something that I wrestle with and I know a lot of us probably wrestle with. We, we find ourselves in a position and we feel a specific way about the places we find ourselves in. Uh, so say I feel like I've been misused by someone, right? I would use things that I know about Jesus to not fully express just totally just emotional side of what I feel in lamenting or weeping. I would say, oh man, I feel this way, but you know, God forgives everybody. So I got to put up a kind of a front. I don't say, man, this sucks and just leave it there. Uh, I, I put up other barriers uh, to not just go totally in on how I feel because in my mind, I know what is true. We have to learn to be honest in this way because if we do not, we can give off the false image of strength in the midst of desperate need. We can give the false image of strength in the midst of desperate need. When we lament, what we're doing is we're recognizing that things are not how they should be. That this is not the way things should be. And we share how we feel with God. We can also share or express how we feel with others as we lament. We, we may lament because we experience grief, uh, sorrow, or regret about something or someone. We may lament over uh, a loss of life. When people die around us, I think oftentimes, a lot of times, we see this real tangible form of lament in my own life. When someone dies I'm close to, nothing else in the world matters. Everything just don't matter no more. It doesn't matter. My job don't matter. How much money I got in the bank, it just don't matter. It brings me to this sobering moment of just how life just comes and goes. It's just how this person 
that I see so valuable and with dignity and worth, life is gone like a vapor. And it just brings me to this moment where I have to wrestle with God. Why is it like this? This is not the way it's supposed to be. Why? Why? And it's a form of lament. We can lament over death. We can lament over the brokenness of our world. We can lament over our sin. We can lament over our kind of like half-heartedness, our one foot in, one foot out type of approach to Christianity. That God, I don't want to be like this. My sin, I don't want to be like this. We can weep over our sin. We can weep over our half-heartedness. We can lament over the fact that as people, we have once again, time and time, we have always seen to start following God and then going our own way. We see this in limitations of people. Everything's going their own way. It's going their own way. We can lament over sickness in our own self or in those around us that, man, this is not the way it's supposed to be. That's what we're saying. This is not the way things are supposed to be. Our lament should ultimately end with praise and glory to God alone. So, yes, we lament. But always at the end of the day, our lament should bring praise and glory to God. We see that in the scriptures, that even though these men in the Psalms, and, and Lamed, even though they're, they're, they are uh, uh, sharing their heart, God uses that in turn to encourage his people and to give us those words today to lead us in right living with him. Lament often means that something horrific has likely happened in someone's lives that moves a person within their soul to express themselves in such a way that it demonstrates uh, how they feel in ways that others could not ignore. That others see, they're like, man, I see a man that is broken. I see a woman that is broken over sin, over the world whatever the case may be, over death. There's times in my life, one time in specific that I remember, where my grief was so just bursting out of me, there wasn't words for it. If I had a shirt on, I would rip it. I didn't have a shirt on, so I couldn't rip it. But it was just one of those moments where it's like, man, I can't do nothing about this. And my heart is broken. And I can't do anything about it. And it was a like, God, why did you allow this to happen? Can't do anything. Feel alone. Again, if I had a shirt, I would eh, get up off me. I couldn't. But I know the feeling. I know the feeling of lament. So if you would turn to me, this is not our main scripture, but I just want us to see this real quick. Turn to me, turn with me to Genesis 6. Genesis 6. The reason of this is we want to see that we serve and love a God who laments. Genesis 
It'll be on chapter 5 in the black Bible that's next to you. If you're new to Soma, uh, this black Bible, feel free to take it with you. It is our gift to you. Verse 5, Genesis 6. We serve a God who laments. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man's heart was great in the earth, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. These are words of lament. That God looks out and he sees the heart of man and say, man, their hearts are bent towards evil. Wickedness. 24 hours of the day. And it grieves me. This is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way. So God sees that. And he acknowledges that. He laments the brokenness of the world. This is not the way. The heart of man was wicked. The way that they view one another was just totally messed up. The way that we view one another, hopefully we will see, is messed up. It's not the way. And so the way that we're seeking to lament in this moment is from a heart's position. We want to see our hearts and how we engage with others. And hopefully it just brings us to a place where we can say, man, it's not the way it's supposed to be. Before we go out and try to change the world, it starts with us and it starts with our heart. It doesn't start by going out and just doing things. The Bible says without love, you guys are just making noise when you do stuff. You don't do things with the right heart out of a heart that, that is overflowing with love. You're making noise. You're doing things. And so today's text, we're going to camp out in Luke 10. Luke 10, this is on page 869. We're going to start uh, uh, verse 25 and end at verse 37, if you're taking notes. Let us read Luke 10, 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, 
when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sat him on his own animal and brought him in an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proves, proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This story is familiar to a lot of us. And before we get into the story, I have to share with you guys what I'm not saying through this story. Because Christians in the familiarity, uh, uh, we can bring things to the text. Just because of our culture and our surroundings, we can bring things to the text. Preacher, it is not my job to bring things to the text, but to share through the text, to bring out of the text what is God speaking. And so I want to cut away some of the preconceived notions of what this story is about. This, Yeah, I know the story. This story has been uh, 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 kind of the, the top or, or the go-to in a lot of social justice movements. Sharing about compassion. When we think about the, the Good Samaritan, right? We read, we, we, we sung the song, it says, uh, uh, Glory, glory, hallelujah, Jesus, you are good. We say yes and amen. But as Christians, we also know that Jesus says, why do you call me good? No man is good but God. Knowing that Jesus is God, he's saying, I am good, but why are you saying that I'm good? But also, let's understand that this story is just a story. That the good Samaritan is actually a type of Jesus. That there is no good Samaritan. Jesus is the good Samaritan. Also, there is no Christian that will act in the way that the good Samaritan has acted. And we will see how this good Samaritan goes above and beyond when I give you the historical reference to what is actually going on through the story. When we think of the Good Samaritan, we think, yeah, that's who I should aspire to be like. We make him the main character. And in this story, the main character is not him, it's the lawyer. Jesus is using this as a way to evangelize to a man who brings him a question. That is the context in which we land. A man brings Jesus a question. Teacher, how do I inherit eternal life? It's a moment of evangelism. We should hear in this, Nicodemus, the same question that's asked. We should hear in this, the rich young ruler, same question that's asked. This should be a familiar theme that we should hear how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus is using this, if you would, as a moment of personal evangelism. So yes, I understand why it's used in a lot of social justice movements. The way that it is used in the context that you normally hear is not the way that I'm bringing to you guys what the text is saying today. So yes and amen, we do show compassion. 
Yes and amen. We show mercy. We show care. We show goodness. We show gentleness. That is not the point of this text. It's not the main point. As followers of Christ, um, we, we, we do these things. But it's not the point. We would say that God is trying to teach us how to love our neighbor through this story, which is great. However, it's not the point. Again, it's personal evangelism. That Jesus is trying to get this lawyer to see his sin. If you notice, there is no gospel presentation after this because the man never acknowledged his heart position and never acknowledged his sin. And before we share the gospel people, the good news, they have to come to grips with the reality of the bad news first. We're doing them a disservice. Just, oh, you don't really understand your sin, but we're just going to throw the good news at you. This man needed to come to grips with his sin, and he didn't. And therefore, Jesus never continues on how he inherits eternal life truly. We'll see this in the text. As we see this story, we may see ourselves and acknowledge that the way we see others and interact with one another as a people made in the image of God is not the way that things are supposed to be. So let's dive into this text. Verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. So when you see this word lawyer, you should think of uh, a person who knows and understands the law in a way like he understands like the back of his hand. Lawyer. Not a person that's going to court type lawyer. A lawyer, a, a, a person who understands the law. Okay? And he stood up. And what was his purpose? Was it to know truth? No. The purpose of him asking this question was to put Jesus to the test. He never really wanted to know this answer. That wasn't his intent. His intent was to trap up Jesus, to find accusation against him. That was the purpose. And then the question that he proposed is, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? Jesus knows that he knows the answer. You know the answer. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said, and Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But what we know is that no man can keep the law. Jesus said, if you want to inherit eternal life, what does the Bible say? What what does the Old Testament say? What does the scriptures say? And he says, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, do this and you will live. Instantly, he should have known, I can't. I can't do this. People of God, it is only Jesus who does this perfectly at all times, loving God, 24 hours of the day, every day of his life, perfectly, and loving people, 24 hours of the day, every day of his life. 
There's none of us that can do this. And so Jesus was not saying do this because you can and you would work your way to eternal life. These parables, this parable, are all like mostly about salvation. How do, I, how do I inherit eternal life? Let me tell you how you don't, not by just going out and doing stuff for the homeless. We inherit eternal life. Romans 3, that by Jesus alone, his sacrifice, he is, the, he is just and the justifier of our faith. It is by faith alone, not by doing things. And so this man, what do he say? He says, okay, go do it. Okay. He thinks, but he, desiring to justify himself, says to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This man's assumed, this man assumes that he loves God perfectly. He doesn't say, oh, how do I love God with all my heart? He assumes in his arrogance. And he says, well, yeah, but let me, let me try to trap you with this. Who is my neighbor? How, do I, how am I supposed to love my neighbor? Tell me more about that, teacher. It's kind of like antagonistic. It's not like genuine questions that this man is asking him. And also, like, in a lot of these conversations, this part where it says, desiring to justify himself, do we not see how in a lot of ways we do that, especially when coming to these type of conversations? That someone brings something to the table, like, man, we should really weep over it. This is wrong. This is not the way that people should be treated, treating other people made in the image of God. And instead of just acknowledging, man, you're right, it's not wrong, we press and try to justify the illness of how people are being treated. Ourselves. We, try to, we, we see something wrong, we try to exclude ourselves. Instead of trying to press in and see, man, how can I engage in that? In what way do I play a part in that? We exclude. This man trying to justify himself trying to separate himself. He says, who is my neighbor? I also think of uh, uh, Psalms 139. When he says, who is my neighbor? This man believes that he does love his neighbor. The issue is, for him, his neighbor is not his enemy. For him, his neighbor is not the stranger. For him, loving his neighbor is the people that he's around. It's the people in the context in which he lives and, and networks. Let's go, to, let's go to Psalms 139 really fast and just see how this man would have had, because he knows the scriptures, he would have had something that he would have thought would have backed him up, something that, he would, that would have justified his hatred. Psalms 139 on page 522. Verse 21, it's probably what it came to his mind. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way Everlasting. Here, tell, you tell me who's my neighbor. Because I love my, 
The issue is your enemy. You don't see them as neighbors. The stranger. You don't see them as neighbors. So Jesus, and again, he tried to, this man tried to, he didn't care about the truth. He, could care, he wasn't even hearing what Jesus was saying. All he wanted to do was trap Jesus up, justify himself. Here's this. Jesus replied, a man was going down to Jerusalem, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed and left him half dead. And by chance, a priest, and in his mind, he jumps for joy. Oh, because a priest, he knows what to do. I know the Levitical law. I know in my mind how we are to engage with strangers and foreigners. So the priest, ah, that's my man, 50 grand. He about to, yeah. You about to prove my point. I'm about to trap you up. Yeah, that's. And then Jesus continues and says, priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Okay. He knows that is not the proper response. And Jesus continues. So likewise, a Levite. And he said, okay, okay, the priest, right, and this is totally error, right? This is not a good way of understanding the text, but some commentators, if you read it, will go this way. It's not the way. The priest, well, maybe he didn't want to get his hands dirty because maybe he had to, like, like go to the temple and offer sacrifices, right? Or, 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 or maybe he just, he had, a, he had to have a good reason to why he would pass by on the other side. A Levite is like, you look like an assistant in the temple, okay? So he says, the priest was busy in his mind, okay, I give him a slide, just one time, one off. All right, the Levite, he's going to come and he's going to do what's right. So we hear the Levite, okay, second chance. We got this, we got this. And Jesus says, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. Okay? But a Samaritan, which sparks in his mind enemy, the priest didn't do what he was supposed to do. I knew what he was going to do. He didn't do it. The Levite, he didn't do it. There was no expectation for the Samaritan man to do what he's about to do. None at all. But a Samaritan was, but the Samaritan, as he, would, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to bound up his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. Then he sat him on his own animal. Then he brought him to an inn. And he took care of him. And the next day, he took out to the Nerai and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Let's talk about extortion. Whatever you spend, I'll pay you when I come back. Story of the Samaritan, this man literally goes above and beyond any of us, what any of us would ever come close to doing. He had compassion. He bound up his wounds. 
he poured on oil and wine. The way this is read in the original language is he, uh, he poured out an abundance on this man. He overdid it with this man. He sat this man on his own animal and brought him in and in. And so what an in is, just paint a picture, is like, so say there was a storm that was uncontrollable. Say you were on like just your last leg, you didn't have anywhere to go. Say you was on a journey, you need somewhere to stay. That's what an inn is. If you would, almost could be looked at like a shelter, an inn. He not only brought this man to an inn, he stayed with this man in the inn. Well, how do we know that? Because the Bible says in the next day, Oh, I probably would have. I probably would have did that. Would you really? Because I wouldn't. Let, talk to me. Talk to me. If I take somebody to a homeless shelter, I will not stay there. Let's be honest, because they got bed bugs. I wouldn't go that far. So let's humble ourselves and not come with this mindset. Oh yeah, I would have did that. No, they have bed bugs, and I got three girls. I'll take you. I drop you off. He went above and beyond. I'll take you, drop you off, and stay the night with you. He stayed the night with him. He took out two denarii, which would be like a day's wage. And he paid up for his stay. The context of this is he paid two months, approximately, for this man to stay there. And then turn around and tell the innkeeper, whatever else you want to do for him to make this man comfortable, to love on this man, do it. And I will pay. He loved this man with no limits. He loved his neighbor as himself. He did for his neighbor what he would have done for his self. He didn't hold anything back. He didn't cut any corners. He loved this man ridiculously, a man that he just came across. When he said, take care of him, whatever more you spend, I will repay. May we see our hearts in this, because this man... This man didn't need any type of qualifications but his love. He didn't have to fit a certain group of people. He didn't have to meet a certain standard. And this is the love that we are invited into. When we come to Jesus and he draws us out of darkness into his marvelous life, we did not meet any qualifications. And for anyone who is wondering about this Christian life, there is no qualifications that we're waiting for you to meet so that you can come to Jesus. Just come. Come to him. Come to Jesus. Because he cares for you, similar to the way that this man has cared for his neighbor, a stranger. Love like there's no qualifications. Because there are no qualifications for the love that we have received. 
we can afford to love in this way. We can afford it. We can afford it. Jesus has paid price for us to be equipped to love in this way, not perfectly. But we can desire and we can press forward towards. When Kent preached, the first message he mentioned how we will give practical applications. We're gonna we're gonna end off in a moment with applications to this, but love the biggest one. May loving people this way direct our affections towards people. I'm not saying that we're going to love perfectly. What I am saying is that out of an overflow of our hearts, is it wrong to ask, to desire, and even to put in action this kind of love? Can we lament at the fact that this is not our heart's position all of the time? God, why am I like this? Why is my heart bent this way? Why is my heart not bent towards outdoing people and loving people? Watch this. Our heart is not even bent in this way towards loving the persons closest to us, let alone our neighbor, let alone a stranger, let alone an enemy. We do not love this way with the persons nearest to us. Humble ourselves. Let's weep. Why is my heart like this? God, would you change me? Would you grab a hold of this hardened heart? And would you so soften it in your hands? You are the potter. I am the clay. Mold me, my God. May we recognize this is not our heart. And lament. This is not the way. This is not what God is calling Christians to. The way we are is not the way. The way our hearts are is not the way. And so when we see people, application, because when, when I met with the elders and we talked about these sermons, uh, one of the things that I, that I put forth on the table, just have to be honest, I am sick of hearing conversations where people say, I just don't know what to do. I hear what you guys are saying. It sounds good, right? I, I, I ascend to it. I agree. I just don't know what to do. I'm sick of hearing it. I just don't want to hear it. I, I just told them flat out, I don't want to hear it no more. Can we address tangibly what do we do, right? So one of the things that we can do, and hear me, is when we look at people, we look at people with love first. I see five guys paying sag and they thugging. I don't look at them and I say, oh, man, you thugging, fear. No, I look at them and say, man, I love this brother. This brother is someone worthy of my love. This brother has worth. Yeah, he may be thugging. I'm not saying don't acknowledge that somebody thugging. I'm saying don't start off your engagement with fear. Don't start off your engagement by going to the other side. That is what I'm saying. We look at them. 
Okay, that may, okay. A black man, I look at the police. Let's see if we can, I look at the police. Do I look at him? And my history tells me this man is about to abuse his authority. It's all, I already got a, man, he ain't about to what, huh? But if I look at him with love first and say, man, this man is a, a man worthy of respect. I love this man. Before I even got to talk to him, I love him. He's worthy of respect. He's worthy of honor. He may abuse his authority. It is not my job to look at him from that lens. Again, does it happen? Yes. But for me, it's to seek peace and unity as a Christian. My heart is to first look at him with love. Say, he's worthy of honor. The way we look at people is where we start. Don't want us to say we don't know what to do. Somebody say, hey, what are you doing? I'm looking at people different. That's what I'm doing. I'm first looking at people with love. Let's not buy in to this, man, this is just too much. I don't know what to do. And if I hear it, I'm, come on. I hope y'all follow me. We look at people with love, and by the way that we look at them, changes the way we engage with them, right? We see the priest and Levi walk by because they did not see value and worth in this man. There was no other reason. Don't give excuse that the priest was busy. And, no. The way you looked at this man was ill, period. Your heart was wicked towards this man. That's it. The Samaritan, the way he looked at that man, he looked at that man with value. He looked at that man as if he was made in the image of God, and he treated that man like he knew he was made in the image of God. This is what we do. We cannot go out and change the world before our hearts are first addressed and we first come to a place where we lament over the brokenness of our hearts and we come to grips that only God can change our hearts and lead us in this direction. We look at people first with love. You see them as valuable. Don't look at the outer appearance. I met a dude, man, at the hospital, face tatted. I mean, tatted. White dude. Treated him the same as anybody else. Because he is. He's a human, and he's broken, and you're broken, and I'm broken. Period. He's made mistakes. Because the reason why he came, I can't share it, but he's made mistakes. You've made mistakes, and I've made mistakes. We all walk in the same shoes, and the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We look at people first with love. May we let the truth of each of us uh, be set in our heart. Let us lament and be honest with ourselves. Let us ask God, man, why am I like this? Why am I like this? Would you change me, O oh Lord? Would you renew, renew a right spirit in me, my God? Please? Please? Is this something that we're, we're willing to beg God over? Please, change me. Change me. Let's not just praise the Good Samaritan story and say, oh yeah, he go do it. No, I, I desire to walk in this way. I desire to walk in your life. Let's ask God. 
People are beautiful, man. People are beautiful. They're not, they're not, we should not mistreat people. It literally breaks my heart in ways that I have mistreated people. In ways that I have mistreated people. It is not supposed to be that way. Are we willing to be honest with ourselves and deal with it that our hearts are broken? And we have broken other people. We've broken relationships. Can we be honest? Will we be willing to go to our closet even today, get on our knees before a holy God and say, God, why? Change me. My brother and sister, will we be willing? Let us pray. God, hear our prayers and change our hearts. You have given us the perfect example in Jesus, and I'm so grateful. You are so wise in how you interact with people, and I am not. You are so gracious in how you interact with people, and I am not. You are so loving and kind and gentle and patient in how you interact with people, and we are not. We're not. And may our hearts break over it, Father. If our hearts are not broken, would you break it, God? Would you break our hearts, Father? We would even be honest to say, in some ways, our hearts are not broken, and we just want a broken heart. A heart that looks like you, a love that reflects your love. Would you do this, God? Do it for your people. In Jesus' name, amen.